Take your Bibles, turn to uh, Matthew 18. So I'm sitting across from a man, but I've had the same conversation with lots of people, including women, who's depressed and broken. He's messed up and he knows it. He's lost his way, lost his hope, lost his family. I listen while he speaks, and when he runs out of words, I tell him about God. He forgives. He changes lives. He gives hope. And then he, they, it's all but predictable with some people, says, it's too late. I can never be forgiven for what I've done. If you've ever thought that or said that, I need to tell you, and I don't mean this to be unkind, you don't know what you're talking about. You need to stop spreading lies about God, which is what you're doing when you tell people he can't forgive. It's a lie, straight from the pit. Now, if what you're really thinking is he can't excuse what you've done, you're probably right. God has never excused a single sin, and he never will. Sin cannot be excused, but it can be forgiven. Forgiving is not hard for God. Not forgiving would be hard, impossible even, because he's promised forgiveness to everyone who believes on, belongs to Jesus. Were God not to forgive, he would be untrue to his own son, and that will never happen. God doesn't even hesitate to forgive. He's arranged all of creation around the forgiveness-enabling cross. Last week we looked at John 3 and we saw that God's a giver. Today we look at Matthew 18 and some other passages and see that God is a forgiver. The forgiver. And we'll see what that means for us. Jesus knew his father is the forgiver. After he rose from the dead, Jesus met with his closest disciples, the people who would lead the movement he had begun, and he told them, this is what's written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. This was his father's plan all along, to give people the illusion-shattering gift of repentance. What a sweet and blessed gift. And the life-liberating gift of forgiveness. The Father doesn't want to condemn people. He wants to forgive them. Remember what we saw last week, John 3:17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He wants to forgive. Jesus told people, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. People get so hung up on the sin God won't forgive, they fail to notice the sins he will forgive. Every sin and blasphemy. Even the unforgivable sin is not unforgivable because God says, at this I draw the line. But because the people committing it don't want to be forgiven. Jesus told his friends, when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him. 
so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. The tense in the original language clearly implies that God would forgive, wants to forgive, and will forgive as soon as we make it possible. If he doesn't forgive, it's because of our choice, not his. More about that presently. One incident in Jesus' life really opens our eyes to God's nature as forgiver, though we often miss it because of the intensity of the scene. Jesus has just been beaten almost to the point of death. He's lost enormous amounts of blood and then forced to carry the heavy beam of the cross through the streets of the city while people watch in horror or in fiendish glee. When he arrives at the execution site, a four-man team takes over, soldiers who go right to work. They have all the beams assembled in no time. They force Jesus down on the upright beam. They spread his arms against the crossbar. Then they either lash him tightly to the beam or the soldiers hold down his arms and legs while one of them drives a nail through each hand and one through both ankles. They might even race the other four-man teams to see who can get this done fastest. While this is going on, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. When I read this, I think of Jesus' astonishing mercy. It was soldiers who beat and mocked and tortured him. Now soldiers were killing him professionally, efficiently, Brutally, and he asked his father to forgive them. When I've read this passage, I've been so focused on Jesus' magnanimity that I haven't noticed what this request says about his father. Jesus knew even in these circumstances, his father would forgive. If people were torturing and demeaning my son, I don't know how I would respond to a request to forgive them, even if my son were the one making it. But Jesus asked his father to forgive because he knew his father is the forgiver. His father, and this is the point, is just like him. He forgives people even of the most heinous sins. In Matthew 18, the Apostle Peter comes to Jesus with a question about forgiveness. Let's read the question and Jesus' answer. We'll start with verse 21, Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Or that might be, as the King James Version has it, 70 times seven Therefore, the kingdom of God is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. That is an enormous amount of money. So uh, I think the new NIV says something about thousands of bags of gold. Um, You have to think in terms in our day of millions and millions of dollars. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. 
The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. This would be, this would be uh, uh, in our day, the price of a car. Okay. Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant, you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed, and then this word of Jesus in commentary. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. If you get the get ready for Sunday email, and if you don't, just let us know and we'll send it to you. And you read Matthew 18 in preparation for today. You probably noticed how Jesus keeps circling back to the grave seriousness of sin. We can make the mistake of thinking that because God is the forgiver, sin isn't so serious. God's a forgiver. Sin's not that serious. The opposite is true. God forgives sin, but he never ignores it. He goes to astonishing lengths to forgive precisely because it is so serious. In the course of chapter 18, Jesus says a person would be better off in a cement overcoat and tossed in the sea than to cause one of his people to sin. He says sin is so serious that gouging out one's eye or cutting off one's hand would not be too far to go if it would help a person stop sinning. Uh, won't, but you get the point. Then he talks about how God goes to great lengths to rescue people who are lost. And he tells us to do the same. Even though it's awkward and we might lose a friendship, when our friend gets caught in a sin, we ought to do everything we can to extricate him. If he won't listen to us, we should go a second time and take some mutual friends with us. And if he still doesn't listen, Jesus says, we should go as far as to get the entire church involved. Anyone who thoughtfully reads Matthew 18 knows that sin is serious. Now, all that talk about sin prompted Peter to come to Jesus with a question that we've already read. What should I do if someone sins against me? I suspect this wasn't a hypothetical question. He had someone in mind. Since God's forgiver, how many times should I forgive? Because frankly, I just about reached my limit. The rabbis say don't forgive anyone more than three times. Otherwise, they'll think that they can get away with sin. But I'm thinking seven. So, Jesus, what do you think? And Jesus famously answers, not seven times, but 77 times, or possibly 70 times seven. Jesus' point is not after 77 times or after 490 times you can stop. This is a very first century Jewish way of saying as many times as it takes. Jesus wants Peter and the others to know that the mark of forgiven people is that they forgive. They act like their father. From Luke's account, we know the disciples were flabbergasted by this. So Jesus went on to make his point perfectly clear with a story. 
When Jesus says in verse 23 that the kingdom of heaven is like a king, he's saying that this is how things operate in the kingdom. It's not just the king who acts this way. His whole kingdom functions this way. The story's pretty straightforward. Contemporary version might go like this. A billionaire gives tens of millions of dollars to a head fund manager to invest. When he decides to redirect some of his assets, he tells the hedge fund manager to turn his investments into cash, but the guy makes excuses. So I can't get the money like that. It's invested in 100 different companies, including startups. The billionaire says, you're scamming me, and we both know it. By this time tomorrow, you'll be behind bars. The guy begs for time. He'll get the money. The billionaire has mercy on him and changes his plans. Then the hedge fund manager heads across town, finds the owner of one of the startups, in whom he's invested 20 grand, and he tells him, the notes come due, he's going to prison if he doesn't pay out. When the billionaire hears about this, he immediately calls his attorneys and tells them, forget about that paperwork I had you working on, call the FBI instead. He wants this guy and his associates arrested. Every one of them ends up serving life sentence without the possibility of parole. And then Jesus says, and remember who he's talking to, the apostle Peter. That's how my heavenly father will treat each one of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. I told you this chapter keeps circling back to the seriousness of sin. It's so serious that we're to take extraordinary steps to stop it in our own lives and in the lives of our brothers and sisters. And don't forget that when Jesus said this, he was about to take the most extraordinary step of all to stop sin. He was about to go to the cross. Forgiveness is an extraordinary step. It has great stopping power over sin. Forgiveness is a barrier to, not an encouragement of sin. People who go on sinning against their forgiver have not received forgiveness. Forgiveness stops sin. Forgiveness is not an option. Forgiven people, the people of Jesus, forgive. And that makes them radically different from people in the world. And it's what makes their witness powerful. I just, I didn't see any news yesterday. I just heard about the shootings this morning. But I'll guarantee you, there will be people in El Paso and people in Dayton who will forgive the people who took their children's and their spouses' lives. And nobody will understand it except us. Because we know that this is how the kingdom functions. It's astounding. We don't just tell people God forgives. Our lives are in your face and yet out of this world proof of the fact. Why does God allow people to do bad things to his children? I don't know. That's too big a question to answer in a sermon or a hundred sermons. There are mysteries there too deep to probe. But one reason may be so that his people can do the astounding thing that he does. Forgive. When people who claim to be Jesus' people don't forgive, the people around them don't believe. Let me say that again. When people who claim to be Jesus' people don't forgive, 
the people around them don't believe. Forgiving those who've sinned against you is not just about you, and it's not just about them, it's also about the world around you. You don't have to be a Billy Graham to be instrumental in changing lives. You just need to do what Jesus told you to do, even when it's hard. You need to forgive. If you say and really believe that you can't forgive, there are two possibilities. You're either mistaken, and that's entirely possible, or you're not really one of Jesus' people. Jesus' people have an amazing ability to forgive. They possess a superpower, though they might not yet have discovered it. The story Jesus tells to make his point has always bothered me. Not because of the severity of that last verse. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. It's because the king in the story had already forgiven the man's debt and then changed his mind. I know God isn't like that. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't go back on his word. Now here's what I've noticed. Most of chapter 18, as we mentioned earlier, is about the seriousness of sin. And the last half of chapter 18 is about what we should do when people sin against us. The point of the story, and parables generally make one point. The details add color as in any storyteller's tale. But we better not press them too far. The point is not that the father might change his mind but that the father will not let his children get away with unforgiveness. Another thing I noticed is that while the king extended debt forgiveness to his servant, the man never accepted it. He didn't say, thank you. He said, I'll pay you back. Then he went after his fellow servant so he could start raising cash and begin his repayment. His refusal to forgive his fellow servant was proof that he hadn't received forgiveness in the first place. Like that servant, we can ignore God's forgiveness and foolishly try to pay our own way. But God is ready to forgive anyone, anywhere, anytime of anything. Like the king in the story, he's ready to forgive just for the asking. The cross of Christ has made that possible. Forgiveness is waiting on us. If we won't receive it, we have no one to blame but ourselves. So what does this mean for us? I'm going to mention two things. First, it means we can be forgiven. If you believe that what you've done is inexcusable, good. Because if you're full of excuses, you will have no room for forgiveness. If you think what you've done is too bad to be forgiven, you need to meet our amazing Heavenly Father. He wants to forgive so you can get started being the person he made you to be. The person you will love being. He wants to forgive. And because of Christ's death on the cross, he can do what he wants. 
but don't try to bargain with God. It's a waste of time. Don't try to pay him back. You can't. Admit you need his forgiveness and take it. Take it in Jesus' name through his cleansing blood. But you can't receive forgiveness while you're making believe that you haven't sinned. You can't have it both ways. And don't think that if you try really hard, you'll deserve to be forgiven. A person who deserves forgiveness doesn't need it. A person who needs it doesn't deserve it. That's the way forgiveness works. Jesus died so sin could be forgiven and defeated. Accept what he's done. Before God. With him. First, this means that you can be forgiven. If you think you can't, you're wrong. Second, it means we must also forgive. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. In Matthew 18.33, the NIV translates the king's question to the unforgiving servant. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I have had on you? Shouldn't you have had would normally translate the Greek verb echo in the subjective mood. That's not what we have. It's not the verb echo, and it isn't the subjective mood. It's much stronger than that. What Jesus has the king say is, must you not also show mercy to your fellow servant just as I show mercy to you? Not should, but must. It is incumbent on you. It behooves you. Forgiven people forgive. And that means if we're forgiven, we not only should forgive, we must. You don't know how to do it? I know that's really the problem, isn't it? So many times we want to. Our lives are being ruined because we can't forgive. But we don't know how. Start by telling God that. God, I don't know how. And I don't want to. But I'll do it anyway if you'll help me. And he will help you. There are booklets on the cafe tables in the back of this room and booklets on the... um, welcome table as you're leaving this morning about exactly that. What is forgiveness? How do you do it? Pick one up for yourself or for someone else. Read it through a couple times. It's short. And then talk through it with me or with some other Jesus follower who knows about these things. I assure you, if you belong to Jesus, you have the superpower. If you don't belong to Jesus, then why don't you come to him today? Let's pray. God, we're always waiting for you to do miracles. And you're always waiting for us to do the miracle. The one that looks most like you of forgiving.
And yet, Lord, we feel like we've been pierced through. We, we feel like that person in the magician's box who's been cut into pieces. We don't know how to do it. We don't know that we want to do it. But Lord, grant us repentance. Grant us the forgiveness of sins and the forgiving of sins. Lord, to set us free, but also to exalt the name to exalt the name of your Son, the Christ of the cross, the forgiver, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. And as we